This is The Lore Check. Hello, other people, and thank you for joining us for episode 11 of The Lore Check. <laughs> I am your host, Brandon Michael Terry, and with me today is a crowd of people. Uh, first, we have my faithful friend, Devin. I'm a survivor! Boyd. I'm a survivor, and I'm a forgiver. I don't like eating pate because it's made out of sheep liver. That rhymes. I like it, Devin. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Uh, Dr. Seuss taught me well. Along with Devin is me, back by popular demand, Anthony, classic fourth-tier guest. And back by somewhat popular demand, but mostly just to fill the slot up, is our friend Stefan Pires. It's me. No one asked for me, but I'm back from the dead. <laughs> we all know what happened last podcast. <laughs> well, now you know the secret what happens. Well, Devin, what are we talking about today with our popular demand fourth tier guest and our zombie guest? Keys to life and death. (laughs) (laughs) So that actually could eventually plug in here. I'll see if I can make the segue. Um, We're going to be talking about the post-apocalyptic genre of gaming. Ooh. I'm talking about nuclear bombs, tidal waves. I'm talking about meteors hitting the earth. I'm talking about radiation, the sun exploding, and ghouls, zombies. And raiders walk in the waste. It's an inconvenient truth, but we have to accept it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Anthony's assuming it's all going to happen. So, while we're here, we are going to have you guys reintroduce yourselves with some fun little intro questions. So, starting with, if the apocalypse was happening, the world's ending, be it nuclear bomb, what do do you think, first of all? What do you think is going to be the end of the world? Most likely of all the normal scenarios. Uh, All the bees die, and it throws all your ecosystem, and the world is overheat. Huh. (laughs) Interesting. Stephen? I think climate change (laughs) is going to basically wreak havoc on... Several countries cause massive immigration crises and basically governments collapse under the weight. Oh, fun. I recently gave an hour-long presentation on that. Ooh. Can you give it to me right now? No. Wait, the bees or the collapsing governments? Uh, overpopulation. Or one of these corporations learns to harness the power of the bee. (laughs) Well, that's also possible. Okay, so whatever it is, whether the bees or... The lack of bees. uh, Or the lack of bees or the controlled bees kill us all. Or... Global change, climate, immigration, governments fail because governments are terrible. Yes. Whatever it is, the world's ending, things are blowing up, people are killing each other. What's your survival plan? Anthony, what is my survival plan? Dig a really deep hole, grab the resources I can, and attempt human hibernation till it's over. You can attempt human hibernation? Yes. What is human hibernation, Anthony? Uh, it's when a human... <laughs> I, may, may I explain? <laughs> Devin, please Devin? explain human hibernation. You because get it. It's, and, and Anthony's making a good connection here. It's when you gather all the bees... <laughs> <laughs> and you let them surround you, and their fuzzy bodies keep you comfortable, but their fluttering wings create the, the friction heat. I forget what that's called. Friction. Yep. Yeah. And they're crafting honey directly in your mouth to sustain you. Exactly. In my, in my blood vessels. That is human hibernation. That's my plan. Huh. My one-step plan. That's right. that, if that doesn't work, I'm done. What's well, two? You have to dig a hole first, then you have to get the bees to... <laughs> the two-step plan. Dig a hole and bees. <laughs> See, what about you? What would be your survival plan? So I guess I have a few. My first and best choice would be, and it's funny you talk about the tenacity of the human spirit, because if we're talking about civilization coming to an end, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm the guy in the first act of the post-apocalyptic film that, like, the main character, like, finds, like, oh, they, they just shot themselves in their bed. That's me. Wow, Stephen. <laughs> a, lot, a world without civilization just isn't worth living. We already killed you once, and now you're beat to life. Yes. And you're going to kill yourself. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, if that's not an option, then I guess, like, if it, for some reason I'm immortal, then probably I want to find a boat and just sail onto the ocean and just be, you know, be a sailor like I always wanted. Or just go out to the, the mountains somewhere and just build a small shelter and just stay away from everyone because I don't trust anyone. Now, what would you do if 
you did encounter someone who you knew. I would ask them to kill me. <laughs> but we've established you're immortal. <laughs> you're immortal. Yeah. That'd be like, <laughs> it's like, fine, like, <laughs> then that's just like purgatory, isn't it? Like, I can't die, so it's like, what's the point? Like, take what I have, like, I'll just wander the world naked. Like, I've got nothing to give, you can't kill me. But, Why okay, do you need naked, hold on. Though? I'm assuming they're gonna take my clothes. You know, if you're wandering the world naked, and you're immortal, you're essentially like a god among men. <laughs> yeah, why would, why would you take advantage of that? You could create a, an entire religion around you. That's a lot of hassle. We could turn this right back into cyberpunk if you want. <laughs> okay, well, so let's say you're not immortal, you just happen to survive for some reason. Okay. And you're in the wasteland. I'll ask two different questions for you. For you, Anthony. Mm-hmm. What would be your first thing once you like you, you woke up your hibernation, yep. the world's gone, yep. you survived, yep. what's the first thing you do? Uh make sure my bees are good. Your bees are fine. <laughs> um, we got a hole. What do you do? Where do you go? I would take me and my new bee friends and go make more friends. Make more friends. Yeah, I need friends. You need people. Yep. If you if you can have one of us out there, would you kill us with the bees or would you try and survive? We, are you I mean, my friends? I mean, am I your friend? Like, I'm gonna find that out. With the bees? I have ways. Uh, please, no one send Anthony bees for this podcast. If you're thinking, maybe I should send Anthony a jar of bees, please do not. But what you can do is send a picture of me at the Bee King in my hibernation. Please send that to lorecheck at gmail.com. Thelorecheck at gmail.com. Yes, please send pictures of Anthony as the Bee King. <laughs> Steven, as for you, we're just going to assume you're not immortal. Well, you, maybe you are immortal. Whatever. You survive the apocalypse. It turns out to be the Fallout world is right. Every detail of the Fallout world is right. Which gang do you join? Which gang? As this immortal god among men, which gang do you join? Or you said you keep resetting. You're like the Fallout character. When you die, you just reset to the last time you took a nap. Okay. Oh, man. What's the the followers of the apocalypse? I was like, uh, um, but they're not a gang. They're more of a faction. That's fun. You can join that them as well. Why would you join them? Because I think they're the only like half decent faction in that series. Like, yeah, like I don't want to kill people. I don't want to. I don't want to hold a gun. It's really heavy. I'll just give people purified water and give them stim packs. That's nice. I appreciate that, Steven. Yeah. You're not truistic immortal. Yeah. We are. But let's say, once again, you're in this, you, you join a faction, mm-hmm. and you find one of these factions, you find a group of survivors, mm-hmm. your bees will ban you. Nope. Sorry, it's, hap- it's uh... happened. It's happened. The bees will ban you. So you have to find people to protect you. Uh-huh. What do you offer this group of survivors? Well, I was going to say my, <laughs> my ownership of bees. <laughs> I can give us honey for decades. I have it all buried in my hole back there. Now you don't really have anything. I know. Now I have nothing. Now I'm just naked and alone without bees. But I'm not immortal. <laughs> this is going to be very hard. Uh, I would say that I'm really good at figuring things out. And I'll explain to them my history with bees. And we'll be like, oh, this guy can think on his feet. Your history of bees. <laughs> okay. Steven, what about you? I think I would encourage someone to follow me just out of curiosity. Because I'm a naked man holding a bottle of water in a stem pack with a slight... A soft golden glow around my head. You know what? I would follow Steven. That's what I would do. Yeah. Okay. It's like, I don't know how long civilizations collapse, but like, bet you haven't seen this before. You want to know what's up? You can tag along. Just wondering for my character, what do you demand of your followers? Just, you know. <laughs> All their water and stim bags? <laughs> to give to other people. I need like a li- like a code of conduct to follow. Uh, they don't have to be naked, but I do encourage them to give away almost all of their clothes. Like they can have uh, already done. Yeah, they can have some some leather straps or something. Oh, yep. so you must have listened yeah. to our cyberpunk <laughs> episode. Devin will be fine with that. <laughs> so, uh, Devin, just for you, like, well, quick answers. What's your solid plan? What would you offer a group of survivors? I would build a bunker. 
Uh, that would be my survival plan. So I'd be living in a bunker alone. However, however, when I emerge, my uh, charismatic ways would be able to charm others into accepting me. I'd work my way to the top, um, gaining the trust of the people around me. And um, very much in a Walking Dead Rick fashion, I would kill them in front of everyone, assert myself as the new leader, and they couldn't do anything about it. You'd rule with an iron fist. Uh, no, I would rule with a, a very understanding, empathetic heart. Oh, nice. But I would kill those who stood in my way. So you said you'd be alone. Currently, Devin, you are married. So you just assume your wife died before you got to the bunker? Um, you know, I have always wondered, um, does the spouse make it when you're the main character? Mm. And in a lot of these apocalyptic games, usually the answer is no. That's usually what inspires the backstory. And usually it's your fault. In some way, like, you forgot to pick them up. Right. Yeah, like you wrecked the car because you were drunk or something. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, your kid gets taken from you and you have to find them, um, you know, and then you forget about them. What was the question? <laughs> Deb, you don't have any kids, do you? Uh, whew. I don't know. I think I forgot. Okay, well, we're going to answer that question in a later episode of Mysteries. Before we get another question, can I change my answer? Something I thought of? Sure, why not? I think that my the best thing I have to offer someone is PR skills. Now, hear me out. There's a ton of factions. There's a ton of people wandering around looking for what factions to go to. To get the best people, you need the best advertising. You need the best PR team. I'm talking like faction branding. I'm talking like cool raincoats and water bottles. Like, you need to make sure, like, hey, we got something good for you. Come here. You need a good public presence. I would right. I would kill you. <laughs> yeah, Anthony, I don't think... Like, puns aren't popular now. They're not going to be popular when the world ends. And, and that's all you have. Puns are always popular, and they will be the only reason to stay alive. Yeah, it's so like, you got to stand out amongst the other factions. I, I can't get away with it now because the world hasn't ended yet. But if I survive the apocalypse, if I met somebody who was like, oh, hey, I, I can't... I'm, Whale, dream. hello there. But that wouldn't make any sense unless we were like Kevin Costner Waterworld. They have a whale in their shirt. Oh, yeah, I'd shoot him. Nice. Sorry, I got one, one code of ethic. All puns die. That's sad. I, well, I, don't, I don't be in your post-apocalyptic yeah. world, Devin. It's yeah, no fun. Well, then, just hope you don't run into me. <laughs> you can't help it. One day Devin, I'll just one-man mission against puns. <laughs> in a world where puns rule, one man sets out to kill them. This is a really terrible movie, I'm sure. No, the whole movie is just a movie people saying puns with bullet holes appearing in their heads. I would watch it. Coming August 2020. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, what is a post-apocalyptic genre? What makes it up? Uh, Steve, why don't you start us off? What do you think? When you think post-apocalyptic, what comes to mind? Uh, the world has ended, and it's after the bit where the world's gone. <laughs> We're just walking around on an empty sphere. Okay. We need to start fresh and new. Yep. <laughs> Blank slate. Devin, anything for you? So, the way that Steven's talking about this makes me think of more creature creator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which doesn't seem very post-apocalyptic. Um, for me, what comes to mind with I don't think anyone of those things remember that. That was years ago, Devin. I True. remember. It's like The Sims, isn't it? Yep. But monsters. <laughs> for me, um, I think of, uh, we'll call them bunkers that uh, organizations and governments have put together to house individuals under the ground during a nuclear war that may have involved uh, oil, the annex of countries, I think Fallout. Fallout 1, 2, Tactics, 3, New Vegas, 4, 76, Fallout Shelter, the mobile game, all of it. So every Fallout? Yes. Anthony, anything you want to add to what, what, what's about the 
Post-apocalyptic. That's going to be so hard this episode. Yep, that's a t- bit of a tongue twister. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would add to that radiation, mm-hmm. radiation poisoning, and mutations. So that's where you're going to get all your weird monster creatures of like this lobster that got mutated and I was seven feet tall and terrorized the villages. I also see it as a setting for like a pressure cooker of human ethics and morals. We'll get back to that. That's a great point, Stephen. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to that. Well, look at Stephen. So, so when I come to defining post-apocalyptic, it's pretty simple. Any genre of game or any genre period where we take the end of the world and turn it into a form of entertainment for ourselves. We made a game. Oh, it's kind of like Lord of the Flies. There are no more rules. Yeah, and it's, it's fun. We made a game out of the fact that everyone's dead that we love. That's how we cope, Brandon. That's how we cope. Well, and the come to games fall is probably the biggest name now for when it comes to post-apocalyptic stuff. Mad Max is a movie, or, yeah, movie and TV series a lot. There's a video game of it, too. Yep, it's a lot of things. And then you have Walking Dead, falls the zombie version of it. Or you might just have the, the, the one where it's nomadic people traveling, trying to find a utopian new home that still exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, the world's done, but you're going to have fun with it. Because that's how we cope, evidently. Yep. So, as a genre in general, why do we love post-apocalyptic things? So I think, I'll start with this. I think the most obvious, least fun, is people love the preachy element to it. People love the preaching of the, the inconvenient truth of, see, we're killing the world. They love being at a point to the game and saying, we're killing it, and it's your fault. As if the guy you're talking to in the coffee shop is the reason why the world's dying. If he changes his mind, things will be better. People love doing that. It's probably the least fun reason about it, but someone inside of us who want to be like, yeah, it's human's fault to be the world's ending. I was wondering this. Can anybody name a post-apocalyptic game book where it wasn't human's fault the world ended? Yes. Really? Battlefield Earth. Really? What's the reason in that one? That's more of a, now that, that's more of a sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. thing. Written by L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of modern-day Scientology. But aliens come to the Earth and invade it and enslave the human race. Humans had no say in the matter. They just kind of came and started doing stuff. Okay, so we have one. Any others? I guess War of the Worlds is also that. Yeah, that, I guess it's part of it. I guess aliens are part of it. So, Oh, what about the miniseries of V for Visitors when aliens come to the world to take all the water and eat people? Yep, so I guess we have the two options. Either aliens did it or we did it to ourselves. Good point. Either way, we've yeah. been wrong. Either <laughs> way, something thinking killed us. But everything like Fallout, nuclear warfare, uh, zombies, almost always humans were messing with some kind of genetics and they yeah. created zombies. It's almost always humans' fault. So we love being preachy about it. What else do you think might be reason we enjoy the genre, though? I think it's fun to just be able to honestly have this bit of a Blake slate. You're mm. in this world. There's everything to explore. And we can kind of do... Anything we want, and there's not much of a taboo behind it. Yeah. You know, you can shoot up drugs, and you can, you know, get drunk all the time, and, you know, kill people, and have a great time doing it. And there's no, you know, repercussions. Like, if we did that in real life, you know, it'd be bad. And I feel like it's almost like the Western genre, but set in modern times in our modern cities and on this world. Yeah. It's almost like the like the zombies or nuclear bombs. Press the giant reset button on society mm-hmm. and say... Yeah. Here are the rules. Nope. Now figure out yourself again. Yeah. People can do whatever they want. It's It literally is a giant sandbox a lot of times. You can reshape your own image. And there's usually also a lot of sand. Yeah. That's it. It's literally a giant sand. Yeah. Why is there so much sand in post-apocalyptic worlds? I've wondered this for a while. Because everything's been blown up and turned to sand, Anthony. I think Anakin Skywalker would hate living there. He really would. <laughs> it gets everywhere. But it's, cool. it's a whole new world of possibilities, and people want to build things up. Going back to your point, Steve, with the pressure cooker of human morals. Ethics, whatever you want to call it. I said both. You said both? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Stephen? I mean, it's like we've been touching on it. The, the fact that there's no government 
to enforce laws and rules. Like we, as people, we still have our groups. We still have the technology. We still have the infrastructure. But when all the rules are gone, it's like we have to make our own rules or no rules. Yeah, we just have to choose a new way to live and survive. Yeah. So it's almost like morality becomes very, um, very relativistic, and you build your lifestyles around conventional truths that others have come to accept. And since you see eye to eye, it's like, okay, yeah, I can start a commune with you. But then you get, you know, the group of raiders who have a different conventional truth, we'll say, where no rules is the one rule. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think mean, there's some good and bad that can be brought up. You have some good messages, like, the people who do take care of the weak survivors. Like, you form together this banded group who looks after each other. You create new families, new loved ones. Mm-hmm. But then you have the Raiders, the ones who just kill everything. And as long as I can do it, it's fine. So you see the big streams of human ethics. Anything you want to add about the morality of Wastelands? Uh, I think you guys uh, did a pretty good job. I, have anything, I can't think of anything too insightful I can add. Okay, yeah. Why did we even bring him back? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. That well, one email. Ev- evidently, he was used by popular demand. That one fan. That one you guys fan. didn't see the, the storm of complaints about him on Twitter. Oh, yeah. It's going to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I do think another thing it does bring up, though... It's the reason why, you know, Stephen came back from the dead is post-apocalyptics show the tenacity of the human spirit. Because I honestly think, in first thought, if the world ended, there's no more internet, no more cable or Netflix, no. no more cell phones. No. I mean, I was like, why would I even try anymore? Like, what's the point? But you still see these people, like, clawing to create a new life for themselves. They refuse to give in to this. And it's a really, it's a fascinating thing that people would keep fighting, even after all our creature comforts in this world are gone. They don't give up. They keep pushing. Yeah, and I don't think that's a normal. I think that is like the normal human response. Yeah. So it's like we see it as heroic. I think we would all do that. Yeah, and that's we kind of see that it pushes us. Allows us to kind of look into it and say humans are pretty pretty great if you give them a chance, except for the raider ones. Yeah, then they become terrible as well. And the weird thing is, they both seem perfectly natural. There's people who create a new world for themselves, new society, and love it. They seem natural. But once you turn into monsters, also seems really natural. Yeah. You just see all this stuff because all the distractions of life, like government, like cable and TV, all that's out. I think it's a huge part of why we enjoy the genre. So I was going to ask a question. Mm-hmm. So I w- we all think that like these raiders have no morals or no like objectivity. Of course. But they probably will, right? There are a few people, even like the most crooked people, it's not that they don't have morals, they have very skewed morals. Yeah. So like what would their morals be? Might would it be survival? Might is right. And that's might a big is- part of it is might makes right. That's what gives them the justification. But I think Anthony's right. Like they probably still, most of them probably still wouldn't just kill babies for fun. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but there's still going to be bad people in this universe. Yeah. So I think the ethical rule in these games is survival is everything. Whatever it takes to survive becomes the ethical code. Yeah. So you're not going to kill babies for the fun of it because that kills the species. Yeah. But you would starve babies if they're, you don't have enough food to support the babies. Yeah, if they were not an asset in some yeah. way or help yeah. you with your survival calls. Yeah. And it's not hard to see how, like, if you're, like, a gang with guns and, like, you know, if you're strong, how the best survival tactic is to accumulate as many resources as possible from other groups around and, you know, kill them, eliminate competition. Yeah. Or you use terror against them and you get them to work for you. Yes. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Either way, I do think it is a beautiful genre for this moral thing because you give her this Freudian superego that we saw with this, the governing things that make you feel like you have to act a certain way, be a certain kind of person. People are just what they naturally are in these settings. Pure, unadulterated human beings trying to survive trying to figure out what life it is, trying to find some skew of happiness left without all the extra gunk inside. Now we ask the question, post-apocalyptic role-playing games. Mm-hmm. They're out there. Yep. There's a Fallout role-playing game. There's other ones. There's many zombie survival games, like All Flesh Must Be Eaten, 
Name oh, right. cold, cold. Uh, there's a cold one. Has to do with winter. Dead of winter. Dead of winter. Dead of winter. It's a board game, which is still part of it. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it is a really good board game. This is the first thing you create a character in a post-apocalyptic setting. You're immediately special. The reason why is nine percent of the world died. You didn't for some reason. Hey, we are finally a part of the one percent. Oh man, one percent. It's a shame that ninety-nine percent of the current world over are dead. It's really easy to be part of the lower one percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, like. Everyone's dead. You survive. You, you feel special. You're, you're automatically a somewhat heroic character from surviving the apocalypse somehow. Either it's because you're genetically predisposed to it, because you're a mortal god among men. Well, hold on now. Well, how does that make you special? Because if if you get an A in the class, but everybody else gets an A in the class, then no one's really that special, right? But in this scenario, it's you get an A in the class, five people get an A in the class, and the other thousand people in the class got shot in the head. Yeah, but if you're hanging out with the with the other 500, it's like you're just hanging out with a bunch of people who are the same as you. I'm glad you said that because you're special and you're immediately not special anymore. Yeah, like everyone else around you doesn't care. That's how life is, man. Yeah, that's true life. Yeah, like that's part of it. like you get a character that's become special, but then everyone's like, "No, you survived. You did too. What, what do you care about?" Yeah, that's part of it. like all the hype of being a survivor goes away. But it's a weird, weird dynamic with your character. Yeah, it immediately goes to a level playing field. Yeah. And that's part of the whole the reset button happened. You're all the same similar people. Unless you're stronger than them or smarter than them. Everyone's that goes down to skill. Everyone's name is Kent. Everyone's name is Kent in the future. Mm. But what I think people might enjoy role-playing games about survival, post-apocalypse stuff. What do you think that's about? What do you think kind of adds to it? I think it's fun to start off with nothing. And you have to build. Mm-hmm. And you have to be imaginative. And like you, you create the building blocks. Yeah. And you create your own... Faction and what you stand for and your own morality. Like, you have to start from scratch with that. I think that's really fun. Yeah. And it's a big drawing point. They proved with Minecraft, which is clearly a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's fun to just build things for no good reason. What would you say about that, Steven? So, it was the question particularly with starting in a new... Yeah, do you agree with Anthony's statement? Yeah. I think that is, like, one of the most fun things. Like, again, just to walk into a world, a new world with nothing, make it just your fists, and to just survive as long as you can slowly acquire as many resources as possible yeah. and build a name for yourself. Yeah. It is an automatic sandbox setting where, mm-hmm. because there's no establishment in this world, you can create a cold in the city with your characters, you can build a rotation with your characters, you can become raiders and just slaughter everybody if you want. If you want to work that side of you out, I mean, we've talked about it before in dark games, some of you just want to be a bad person and just play it out. Steven, any other reason you will enjoy a post-apocalyptic setting? Yeah. I know one of my favorite reasons is to explore the morals and the ethics, mm-hmm. I think. You know, it, it becomes immediately less interesting once your character has a set moral code that mm-hmm. they won't deviate from. For me, it's always about playing out situations where your character becomes compromised and then mm-hmm. letting their experiences develop a moral code and then it, you know, breaks down again. It's the continual ebb and flow in this setting. Nice. So that's actually, in the book Metro 2033, um, they explore it much better than in the video game. Mm-hmm. Um it, to give a brief history behind it, uh, the world ends due to nuclear war. It picks up with this character named Artyom in Russia. People survive by going through metros. He's this 18-year-old kid who has to leave his metro for the first time, and he has never experienced life outside of the metro, never seen any of these creatures, never seen really other people for the most part. And he struggles a lot with the morality of it. Like, there are factions with idealistic world, like they have a, like a Nazi-esque faction, faction, they have a fascist faction, they have, you know, a communist faction. And, you know, he's never killed anyone. Does he kill? Is it right to kill? It's, it's a really good read. And, and it goes a lot with those. Like he is very much that blank slate that his moral code develops constantly, uh, throughout the book being shaped by the people he meets. You know, is there an afterlife? Are there, 
Because there are like strange spiritual phenomenons that happen during the book. Hmm. Yeah, it's continually shifting. Yeah. Yeah, good. And that part, like, because everything you knew you loved before was gone, for your character, everything he knows that creates laws and morality is gone, you just get to kind of figure out, like, what is, what's it mean to be moral in this new world? Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why I think post-apocalyptic games kind of, I think what sets them apart from others is, obviously, like, the setting. Like, in other role-playing yeah. games, you can kind of do a lot of similar things. Like, you can choose who you want your character to be and create a story around them. But with post-apocalyptic games, like, you are trying to create a new world that still has the remnants of the past. Like in yeah. Fallout, mm-hmm. like, you're using all this old weaponry and you're going around old cities. Mm-hmm. But the things that happen in those cities are completely different. Yeah. And they're kind of taking the history that in the old world that they had before and repurposing it to their stories that they're telling now. Yeah, I was going to say it, like, revalues things that we walk by every yeah. day and, like, part of our lives. Like, I, if I'm in a post, post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. world, if I walk by, like, a store and I see a single can, like, thing of water, I'm going to freak out. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm on a lighter fluid and the aerosol came, like, hey, you have a rudimentary weapon now. And so yeah. it just revalues everything. Things that would survive, like, a, a boat crash or an end of the world, things that you found very everyday mundane become super precious to you. Yeah. yeah. So I bottle cast become money for some reason because they're, they're precious and rare now. Or having a single bottle of clean water becomes super valuable. Mm-hmm. Where now, if someone offers me a bottle of water, I might drink half of it and throw it away. Yeah. So it adds a whole new sense of value, a whole new sense of wonder to every little thing. And may, may I make a, a brief correction with no. something you said? Bottle caps are not currency because they're rare. They're currency because they're easy to transport and they're used to represent water. It's like the gold standard, but the gold is purified water. Mm. Fine. Fall is my Achilles heel. I don't know much about that one. <laughs> I think another good thing is, in this setting, when everything is all about survival, in post-hoptic worlds, in a day, you dying means you lose. That's how this <laughs> world is generated. Yep. So, I think the survivor bonds in these games become incredibly more important. So, we talked about in our It Takes Two episode that you gain value by playing as a group because you get to fight together through... And it's good to build bonds there. But in survival games, it's kicked up to an 11. Because your entire job is, I want to survive... No, that's right. I want this guy next to me to survive as well. Your characters form these really deep bonds over that. When people die, there's no resurrection in most apocalyptic games. They kind of beat the genre, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you instantly have this, like, dang, they're dead. And like, there's a lot more emotion, a lot more, like, lost to that character. Failed to do the one thing we were trying to do, survive. And so it becomes way more valuable, these bonds and relationships you form post-apocalyptic games. Devin? Yeah, there, there's just not that many more people around. So it's kind of like, like if, if you were to lose someone in, you know, a D&D setting, it's like, oh, no, next time we'll pick someone else. But now it's like, oh, crap. Like, the like one of the 3,000 people left that I'm aware of is dead. Yeah, but this sucks. One of the only 20 people I've seen in the last 100 days of my life is now dead. I also feel that trust is a hard commodity to come by in this world. Yeah. And if you can find a group of people that you trust, that you know has your back, that is the most invaluable resource yeah. in, this, in this game. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Because, like, in our day-to-day lives now, it's like, we can assume that most people have, like, fairly decent intentions for their interactions mm-hmm. with us. Well, they don't have to kill me to survive. Like, yeah. most likely you're not going to have to do that to survive. That's why I don't lock my doors. <laughs> <laughs> we do not recommend leaving your doors unlocked on the Lord check. Do not follow Anthony's security advice. You also have Baltimore most of the time. How do you not lock I did lock that door a lot. When I lived here, I did not lock my door. Okay, that's fair. So we're going to wrap up. The one last thing I do want to mention about why we love role-playing games is, and it's something that we talked about in the horror games, you get to practice your survival plan. You're playing yeah. a game where like, the world's ending. Like, okay, here's what I would do. And you got a GM who's maybe objective, maybe he hates you, who knows. Maybe but he loves you. Maybe he loves you. He just wants to show you how much he loves you. <laughs> Maybe he's a benevolent nude man <laughs> walking the waist. With a glowing forehead. 
Maybe that's not true. But you get to practice this guy saying, well, we do this, and you have all that possibility of what that might turn out like. You get to practice new survival plans. Because the end of the world's coming, people. Guaranteed. Maybe by bees. Maybe by governments collapsing. Maybe by a naked new man deciding he doesn't want the world to be the way it is anymore. So he kills everything besides himself. We don't know. But you get to practice for it. It's very ego of you. Guardians of the Galaxy. Ego. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Please don't kill us, Steven. Okay. It's Patinen. Oh, Patinen. We Stephon should use our real names for the privacy. <laughs> okay, so moving into our last segment. How can GMs or players, when they're interval playing game setting, how can they keep the feel of a post-apocalyptic setting? What do you think? If you know that you're going to be playing later that mm-hmm. night, yeah. um, I would recommend during the day, eat one meal, uh, very meager. Mm-hmm. Maybe drink one bottle of clean water, and then just kind of throw a little bit of dirt in the rest. Uh you know, wear your tattered clothings. Um, just really embrace the feel. So that way you go into it 110%. If you're the game master, when, when you're given the snacks at the table and stuff, maybe, you know, um, have some rad roach meat. I've also like found that. it very helpful uh, for the experience if everyone at the table doesn't shower for a week before mm-hmm. getting up to the game. And make sure your apartment is filled with sand. Yeah. <laughs> to really embrace Everywhere. the atmosphere. These are some pretty extreme uh, suggestions you guys are making. Well, listen, you're going to go in. you got to go all the way in. So, yeah. So, be as be as dingy and survival-like as you possibly can. I'd also like uh, all GMs to be pro-B. Be what? Be pro-B. Pro-B? Like, yeah, like pro-B. a bumble. Oh, I was like, I was like <laughs> what's the B stand for? No, pro-B. Got it. I'm glad you like your GMs to be pro-B. Uh, any other any other advice you might give to GMs for or players? Make sure they keep that feel of a... Or of a post-apocalyptic role-playing game. I think that using soundboards, which there are a lot of free ones yeah. online, work. Uh, just getting like maybe that desert wind blowing, maybe like a, mm-hmm. a creaking um, tin building, maybe even using some like kind of distant pseudo dystopian mm-hmm. uh, ambient music to play to just kind of you know provide provide an atmosphere to yeah. help them to encourage them to get into it. Play at night. Play at night. May that can help. I think you really have to play up the moral challenges. Yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. The first thing they do is, like, you're starving, you see no one, you know you're going to die, you're going to get food in the next couple hours, you see a child with a loaf of bread, or, like, with barely any bread to survive, do you take it? Do you let them have it? What do you do? You turn them into a sandwich because they already have a loaf of bread with them? <laughs> Thinking outside like, the box on you this gotta, one. <laughs> you got to be hard on them. you got to really to make them earn it. No, yeah. I absolutely think you're right. Like, more dilemmas are a requirement for this setting. Like, make them have to choose between starving or starving children, between killing people they find or letting them join the group. You gotta make them choose some stuff. So you make them feel like you're constantly struggling with who you are. Yeah, just like forcing moral choices with like real difficult consequences. Yes. And, and just like limiting resources, things like that. Mm, yeah. Make things hard to find. Like, the weird thing about post apocalyptic games is it's probably gonna be a long series of nothingness for a bit. Like, they're exploring, they're finding new things, something happens. Then all of a sudden a major thing happens, either for zombie games, like all of a sudden zombies are upon them, rushing them, boarding them. Maybe the raiders are upon them, killing them. Maybe someone falls through the building because it's broken, dilapidated. It's sudden moments of like, crap, we might not survive this. Mm-hmm. Your players have to constantly be afraid of their survival. Or constantly be sure that survival is not guaranteed. For them or their character. Yeah, for them or their character. Yeah. If you're, if you need to make sure this setting, like, let your players know that you might kill them. If their character dies, yeah, like that'll instantly kick up the possibility of them taking this game seriously, or they just won't play with you anymore. She's a fine way to like lock them in that room and make them play the game with you. It's a really weird version of Saw. Oh no, you gave you gave him the idea now, Brandon. It's gonna be like Saw Forty Seven, Saw RPG. Oh gosh. Okay, so I think that wraps it up for today. Uh, Devin, 
Closing words of wisdom? It's important to remember that when the world starts ending, morality begins bending. <laughs>